0: It was really, really a tough pivot for me because I was so invested in this company that I bled for and laid my my life down for to a certain extent. I fought for it for so many years. My name and who I was and -hmm. the work that I'd done was so closely connected to that that I felt like getting rid of it or letting go of it would just be heartbreaking. You know, Mm -hmm. I had all these dreams and I had to kind of let go of those dreams and realize, okay, if I want to do this which is different, then probably the fastest way is to work for somebody who already has that contract.
1: Welcome to The Practical Filmmaker, an educational podcast brought to you by the Filmmaker Institute and Sunscreen Film Festival, where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and the steps they took to find their success today. On today's show, we talk with self-taught producer Brian Fellows as he recounts his experience, software, and mistakes that got him producing national commercials for companies like T-Mobile, NASCAR, and DoorDash. Find the full transcripts and more at ThePracticalFilmmaker.com. I'm your host, Tanya Musgrave, and today we talk freelance producing with commercial producer Brian Fellows, who has worked with companies such as T-Mobile, NASCAR, Chevrolet, DoorDash, and Nat Geo. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We actually got a chance to talk with you near the start of the pandemic, but it was with two other producers for our small companies during COVID episode. That was like episode six. That was like at the very, very beginning of this podcast, like back when it was titled there to (laughs) (laughs) Hear." So the thing is like when it's a group, we're never actually able to delve that deep. So this will be great. Let's start with how you got to where you are now.
0: How did I start? Well, early on, I got a really great opportunity due to some connections that family had to work at a television station. Or really early, I mean, I'm talking like 15, 16 years old.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, I had an internship, and it allowed me to to see, you know, the inner workings of of what would go on at a, at a typical broadcast station. Now, this wasn't broadcast TV. This wasn't in and quote unquote film or you know, commercial filmmaking. It wasn't in any of those things. It was purely just broadcast. But it was cool because I was able to literally, you know, sit behind directors and producers and audio engineers and all these different people and just watch what they did. And as a 15-year-old and and even younger than that, you know, I would just sit there and I, I would literally take notes. And it was great because, you know, after they were done recording a segment or after, you know, they were done recording a show, I would go up and, you know, I was the annoying kid asking, why did you push that button? You know, <laughs> why did that lever move a certain way?
1: Curiosity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was great too, because I've thought about this actually a lot now in my career and, you know, mm. and it's a different place and I'm doing different things, but you know, there are uh, kids, college kids and younger that are coming up through the ranks and they're asking those questions and they're, you know, curious, just like I was in a different way, because technology back then was, we were so separated, you know, from, from technology, not like we are now. You know, now we can just jump on our phones and make a video, post on YouTube, make a TikTok, <laughs> whatever it might be. You know, none of that was accessible at the time. So, you know, being able to be kind of a backseat or a fly in the wall, if you will, to, to that kind of work going on was super exciting and super interesting and not something that was tangible to most people. So that was an amazing opportunity. And that led to me essentially PA-ing. Mm-hmm. running cables, you know, pushing road cases through uh event halls and that kind of thing. Yeah. And one day during a show, there was a camera that was unmanned and I saw the opportunity to jump on and and <laughs> you know, try my hand at it. And I remember at the other show the director was like, "Who who ran that camera?" because he knew he knew that, you know, nobody was supposed to be on that camera and then that led to being a camera operator. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a slow journey all within the broadcast realm. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew early on that the more specialized I got, the more hireable I was, mm-hmm. I had a essentially a summer job, you know, at at this broadcast institution, and and I would I would get called back every summer, which was awesome to you know run camera and eventually run jib, which is more specialized and only a few people could do that, and so that was a that was a cool thing. Played some video games, which you know allowed me to get good at the joystick, and then I had my eye on directing, so I went to college with the hopes of of doing this, and you know always had this whatever this was being in the film being in the entertainment industry of some sort my eye was on broadcast cuz that's all i knew at the time nothing else was tangible you know film seemed so far away of course at that time technology was starting to shift and a lot of people share a similar story to me just you know due to to my age group you know the accessibility of cameras that were deemed film even though mm-hmm. in there in the mm-hmm. digital realm, started becoming accessible. I mean, the red one came out, which was a huge transformational thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the 5D Mark II in a, in a simpler way, but yeah. a more tangible, you know, way.
1: Accessible too.
0: Yeah. yeah, and accessible, exactly. And to shoot in a way that was more cinematic than we'd ever been able to do in the past, you know, yeah. at least at that level. That was super exciting. And so at that time, again, I was still in the broadcast realm. I had my eye on directing. I was in college it wasn't going great. I wasn't super interested in what I was doing. And I was kind of hopping around a little bit between majors, not really landing because the digital multimedia or fine arts degree that I was going for really wasn't teaching me the mm-hmm. things that I wanted to learn. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate to that. <laughs> so I'd been, you know, doing that summer job, essentially working in broadcast and the mm-hmm. same organization reached out and said, Hey, you know, we, we're starting a new station. It's in, you know, the Latin realm. It's gonna be all Latin programming uh, we're looking for directors. I, you know, we knew you had an eye on that. I had done some, you know, training obviously with some directors, you know, before then and, and kind of knew the ropes generally, but really didn't have an opportunity. There was an opportunity for me. And so they said, you know, are you interested in that? We know you're in college. I said, well, you know, forget this. I'll, I'll do that instead. Mm-hmm. So I ditched, I completely ditched college. I think I was three years in. I honestly, at this point, I'm, it's, so far past me that i don't remember how many years of college i did not even anywhere near a general degree oddly enough because i kind of hopped around too much i kind of had my hand in a few different pots Mm -hmm. so i left to do that it was awesome it was awesome i was a freelancer i got brought in a lot though for different projects and you know wasn't getting paid extremely well but it was exciting for me you know and it was kind of the the launch point yeah Yeah. it was the launch point but as i said you know the technology was changing and even though i was doing so many cool things and it kind of made up for you know the the financial aspect i was getting to travel i was getting to go to different countries you know as i mentioned Mm -hmm. it was a hispanic network and so there was a lot of hispanic speaking networks. so there was a lot in a lot of countries that I was able to go to Mexico and I was able to go to Puerto Rico and Colombia and all these different Mm. places. And it was really fun, but I really had this desire. I I think I always did to start my own outfit and I have my own production company of some sort. Mm -hmm. I got my hands on, I think it was a T2I, a Canon T2I at the time and then a 5D Mark II and kind of working my way up that line. And I thought, well, I can, I can create some videos with that, you know, Mm-hmm. And so I, I started my own company and I didn't know what I was doing, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of figured out the process to, to do that legally and I, I created the company. <laughs> legally? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A whole new ball game. I didn't know what I was doing. It was a partnership early on. I created it with a few other friends of mine from college mm-hmm. and uh, we sought out to, to change the world and do amazing things. It was maybe a year or so into it where we were struggling kind of, you know, using the resources and the connections that we had had, you know, from other previous, you know, work experience, which wasn't much, college connections, etc. We were trying to make it. Some of those guys were in college still while mm-hmm. we were trying to do this. We could kind of clearly see that each of us was going a different direction. Mm-hmm. And and so slowly, you know, the different members of of this collective started disbanding. I decided to keep the company and to keep moving forward it led to so many different opportunities. You know, I did a lot of smaller corporate projects and, Mm -hmm. you know, local projects and those kinds of things. I have a religious background. And so a lot of the projects that I was involved in had some sort of connection to a church or religious organization or Mm -hmm. or even a a nonprofit of some sort. Mm -hmm. So there were smaller projects, but there were such great opportunities for me because it allowed me to play in this realm where i didn't know what i was doing but the stakes weren't super high
1: yeah i know you have like low stakes you have a lot of opportunity with a higher role with a more control role so like yeah it's actually a really advantageous place to be
0: it was a training ground it was kind of college if you will for me and um i made a ton of mistakes i mean missed deadlines (laughs) didn't follow through I mean, across the board, you know, didn't know what I was doing financially. I mean, just all kinds of stuff, trying to make it. And it was, you know, it was great. And I actually am glad that I made those mistakes. And in the realm that I did, even though, you know, at the time, you know, I look back at it now as low stakes. At the time, they were high stakes for me because this is literally all I had. Yeah, This is how I was paying my rent. It was how I was feeding myself. Most of the meals were pasta, ramen noodles. But, you know, it was still keeping me alive. But I look back at it now and I think, you know, that was great that I made those mistakes though, because even though it took time and there were a few times where I was making the same mistakes over and over, I started to learn from them. Yeah, And I surrounded myself with some great people. I made some awesome partners early on, people who I knew from college and from other places along the way, you know, people I'd meet along the way, different mm-hmm. projects that I would bring on board as as freelancers and kind of partners in crime, if you will. Mm-hmm. I made some great friends. I mean, we worked together.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that is where I met you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember a long plane ride to Hawaii where I think I talked your ear off the entire time. And you're like, <laughs> I just want to sleep. So, well, we I was trying some, to
1: figure out. I was trying to figure out who is this guy? Who is this? Like, well, who yeah. is this guy? Because I've got to work with him for the next two weeks. So,
0: absolutely, but, absolutely. We had a lot of fun. I mean, oh, yeah. we kind of traversed around Hawaii together, and and then you know a lot of other projects ensued after that. Yeah. But it was that. It was you know mm-hmm. meeting people along the way. Which, you know, a lot of those people have become very, very dear friends of mine who, you know, continue to this day, even though we've kind of gone down our different paths. And I learned so much. I mean, I remember still kind of being in the event space, you know, doing other things too, but still being in the event space because that was closer to broadcast. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, getting myself into projects that I probably didn't have any business doing or didn't have, I didn't even have the skill or, or, you know, didn't know all the gear that we were, you know, trying to use. I mean, I remember literally selling projects before we even knew myself and and the team members that I brought on board, even knew how to do that thing that we were selling ourselves that, you know, we were experts (laughs) on and yeah, you kind of stupid, right? But at the same time, I knew that even though we didn't know how to do those things necessarily, maybe halfway Or sometimes not at all. We figure it out, and the Mm -hmm. best fire under yourself is the pressure of "oh crap, I've got to do this." You know, I have to literally, you know, deliver in some way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it didn't quite work, but most of the time, I want to know a story.
1: I want to know a story of what (laughs) it didn't.
0: (laughs) There's so many. I really, I really remember being on on site, you know, doing projects where, like in particular, one time we. We sold this whole idea where, we you know, we're going to bring in an LED wall and it was going to be this whole production and we didn't know anything about LED walls. And, and so we bid out, we won, you know, the bid on it. We had a, a number quoted and uh, I remember myself and one of the guys I was working with at the time, we literally flew to China. We bought an LED wall in five hours, turned around, flew back to the United States my and we're gosh. like... Oh, man, this is the largest purchase we've ever made. And I think we have the money to cover this. And we also don't know what we're doing. We che- we we checked the box on the, the order form that was, you know, the shipping route, literally via ship versus, you know, flying it because yeah. the cost was lower. And yeah. we were trying to save money. So we cut it really close because literally the day that we were supposed to truck this gear to the event was the day that the ship landed. Ugh. And so we picked up the gear. Never have tested this ever. Brought it on site, and we figured it out on the fly. And it did work. And it did, you know, come together. There were a few frantics, like Skype calls or something, with with our Chinese counterparts in, Word. you know, that had made this thing. But I mean, we so many stories, right? No, so but I want to know when it things. didn't
1: work, Brian. When did the uh, when, when did it, the wall did it, it not work? <laughs> not the wall, but like when did it not yeah. work
0: out? One
1: of those risks.
0: Well, I'm I'm racking my brain trying to think about moments where it didn't work because a lot of times we pulled it off somehow this isn't really the same but i i can remember a time where i didn't deliver Mm. and it was it was bad i mean i i Mm. literally had to pay money back Mm -hmm. because i didn't deliver a product Mm -hmm. and that hurt because i didn't have that money especially Mm as a as a you know small business owner and you know Mm. I wasn't trained in business. I'm just Mm -hmm. figuring this out on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. And learning as I went and and, uh, when I didn't deliver and I had to pay back the money Mm -hmm. that was paid to me. When you're a small business, you kind of, you know, borrow to pay the next thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's mm-hmm. that it's that motion where, you know, you, you use one project to pay for the next and then that mm-hmm. next project pays the next thing. Yep. And that was rough. I remember it's really really rough and I had to scrounge to to make that work. And um you know, those are the lessons, you know, the lessons of of not backing things up. I mean, I remember there was a lightning strike once in the middle of file transfer between hard drives and we lost like everything we filmed that day. You know, I mean mm-hmm. There's so many of those things, you know, having to go back to the client and say, you know, we don't have this and Mm -hmm. we were not smart enough to, you know, Mm -hmm. back it up multiple times. Yeah, there's Mm -hmm. there's so many different stories. And so slowly along the way, I started learning these things and Mm -hmm. kind of gaining the experience that has really led me to where I am today. And there was some pivots along the way Mm because I'm definitely doing something different than I was doing before.
1: Tell me about that pivot point, because I know that like yeah. from these particular projects where we work together, you yeah. know, much smaller, much more the indie, I guess, yeah. compared to, yeah. you know, like national commercials and sure. that kind of a thing. The show that we were working on ended mm-hmm. and then, you know, you went your way and I went mine. And I like the next thing I know that you're like, oh, hey, you know, I'm working on this big thing. I'm like, how did he get over there? Like, yeah, what, yeah. what happened?
0: So. Well, that's a good question. And I, I remember there was a ve- veggie grill incident, a conversation that happened at veggie grill. And I'll get to that in a second that you and I had actually.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. Yes. I that remember. was
0: actually a very pivotal conversation. So thank you for that conversation. So help me.
1: What did yes. I say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was all veggie, veggie grill. We had good food. It, yeah. was, it was the inspiration that we needed. No, I mean, like I was saying a second ago, you know, yeah. all these different projects, it was teaching me something in the background that maybe I wasn't cognizant of at the time, mm. but I was slowly learning processes and how to do certain things. Mm. You know, I had a really incredible opportunity, and, and you were part of this for a number of years to to travel extensively internationally yeah. Yeah. and do a lot of a lot of projects for essentially NGOs, you know, people who Mm -hmm. were in the uh, healthcare, you know, realm, and there was a a religious element to of that and, you know, to follow stories in the field. Mm. And the filmmaking side of it, obviously, you know, I was learning a lot because this was a very structured process. We were delivering, you know, 30 minute episodes over the course of multiple seasons. Mm -hmm. And I'd never done that before. So this was all new and and trying to create that process and, and one that would work. And it was rough at the very beginning, you know, trying to get that process to be fluid. I take this from a friend of mine from college who kind of instilled this in me. And I had to do a little trial and error, too, before I was able to, to really realize how how important this was. But he he always said, you know, your time is more valuable. And you can't do everything at once, you know, you can't do everything yourself. And so your time is more valuable. So it, using the analogy of, of somebody who needs to mow their lawn, he's like, well, you can mow your lawn and you know you can waste the two or three hours, right? Or you can pay the kid down the street 20 bucks to mow your lawn. And now you have those hours back. And mm-hmm. since your time is more valuable because you can make more money and do more things from a business perspective during that time, it would be better to use you know that 20 bucks to pay the kid versus spending the two or three hours. And there's mm-hmm. pros and cons on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I realized early on that friends, people, coworkers around me who are excellent at what they do would free me up to do what I did best. And even though I I could kind of do everything to a certain degree, you know, mm-hmm. I can kind of run audio, I can kind of edit. Mm-hmm. I'm never as good as somebody who is just an editor or just yeah. a sound mixer or just a DP or what have you. And it was hard to let go because I, I enjoyed all those things, right? But as I kind of started to slowly let go of some of those things, and you can't do that fully as a small business because mm-hmm. you do wear all those hats yeah. to a certain degree. Yeah. The more I let go, the better it would get, the product. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the show, I started realizing that it used to be that I would edit it, I would shoot it, (laughs) I directed it, I produced it. And then we had people who were facilitating, you know, some of that as well, but I was also involved in all those pieces. But the more I let go and let an editor take care of the editing, then I would just manage, you know, and et cetera, Mm -hmm. all these different pieces. Then it started to flow better because I really couldn't do it all myself that show ended and uh, I kind of was at this pivotal point of what do I do next, first of all, Mm -hmm. because I've learned so much when it comes to the craft itself at that level. I've also had a lifetime of education from purely the fact that I've traveled around the world, you know, multiple Mm -hmm. times over and seen so much and talked to so many different people and learned from so many different cultures and experience that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget because it was it was pivotal for me. And I, I gained so much just from that, you know, purely. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And I really wanted to jump to that next level, get to the next rung on the ladder. Mm-hmm. And so we sat down at Veggie Grill and I remember asking you, like, what am I Because I don't really know from a from a title position, whatever, because I wore so many hats, so many for all these years, you know, starting broadcast now kind of in this corporate indie, whatever you want to call it, realm, you know, kind of this smaller tier production realm. What am I best at? Mm. And I remember us narrowing it down. And I think you said you're a line producer. Mm. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Because at the time, you know the the very specific roles <laughs> weren't identified because we were all kind of doing everything in that mm. in that phase of life and, and and phase of my career. But I started thinking, you know, if I could get into commercials, that would be really cool, mm. and I'd really love to to work on a Nike commercial or mm. you know something of that level, a Coca Cola commercial, right? But I don't know if they would ever call my little company of me, <laughs> you know, how is that even possible? Right. And it was really, really a tough pivot for me because I was so invested in this company that I kind of, you know, bled for and laid my my life down for to a certain extent, you know, and mm. I, this was, i fought for it for so many years to to make it. and fe- And I felt very attached. My name and who I was. And mm-hmm. the work that I'd done was so closely connected to that that I felt like getting rid of it or letting go of it would just be heartbreaking. You know, mm-hmm. so it was really hard to let go of the idea of this production company, and you know, I wanted to get to the point where I would have this staff and this, you know, this, this office and all these things. I had all these dreams, and I had to kind of let go of those dreams and realize, okay, if I want to do this, which is different, then probably the fastest way. Is to work for somebody who already has that contract, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to go full time anywhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't fully know what line producing was, and so I knew that I had probably seventy five percent, maybe eighty percent of the knowledge it would take to produce at that level. Mm -hmm. And and saying the word producer reminds me of the fact that I realized that when it's all said and done, even though I love gear and I can talk shop, you know, all day with with those that play with gear all day, I enjoy, you know. The ins and outs of all these different facets of production. Really, what I'm best at is, first of all, talking to people because I've already mm-hmm. turned your off today. <laughs> and i I love coordination, mm-hmm. and so you know, it seemed to fall under producing that. That was really where my talents you
1: know, Lay. Yeah, I like um, I'd have to add to that yeah. too yeah, because please. I remember now that you're talking about Veggie Girl. I do
0: remember <laughs> yeah. one thing
1: that I I did pick out and that was just that you take care of your people. You I did rem- say that. I remember. I remember being in the Philly airport. Yeah. Yep. 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 I remember being in the Philly airport. My flight had gotten canceled. There was a line two miles long. It was snowed in. I knew that I had to get on this flight to I think maybe Ohio. I don't even remember where I was. But I remember you being international. Like you were already eyeballs deep in another project. And I remember I was just like, oh, man, there's no way. Because you know, once you get production brain, you're deep into a project like it is very hard to split your brain and and manage something else that's part of a different project and like Anything re- regarding logistics. It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. I got to do this first. I'm like, you know, nuts to you, but like, I got to do this yeah. first. But I remember specifically in the Philly airport, I was just like, it's okay. I'll just like, I'll just like pop a squat over in that corner because, you know, you're in your 20s and it doesn't matter and your back doesn't hurt and you can actually stay a full night on an airport f- floor and be sort of fine the next day. Right. And you're just like, absolutely not. One mm-hmm. second and you came back and you're just like, go to this hotel, <laughs> get your rest. You will you will be much better for me if you are able to sleep, take a shower and let me get your flight worked out and everything yeah. was worked out. And I was just like, oh my gosh, okay. Like this yeah. is okay, all right, all right. I, I, and I what? felt much better about going off and doing that job because number one, I knew that I was gonna be able to sleep <laughs> but it was also very nice knowing and then I had somebody looking out for me, but in any case, so yeah, yeah, we I remember talking about that now
0: i do, I do remember that I remember that instance very well, and this is this is the thing I didn't realize I mean, since I was five years old, you know, playing with my Legos, I've always wanted to be in this industry in some way, whatever mm-hmm. it meant, you know i was yeah. this is what I was meant to do, and I always wanted to do. But it's taken me quite a while to figure out that producing was really what it was. You know, I thought it was DPing or directing or, mm. you know, you name it. I mean, there were so many different roles that I, I really enjoyed. And I I thought because I had so much interest in the gear side of things mm-hmm. that that's where I was ending up. But at the end of the day, you know, throughout all of this that I, I've mentioned, um, it, the through line is that I like putting it together. Mm -hmm. I like putting all the pieces together, picking the people, bringing the right team, you know, for this specific project, you know, a team that would fit that project. Mm -hmm. I like gathering, you know, all the the rental orders and all that stuff. I like the logistics of the hotels and the flights and Mm -hmm. all those, you know, pieces of the puzzle. And so, yeah, producing was what it was. Yeah, it took a while. You know, it wasn't overnight, obviously, Mm -hmm. jumping to the commercial realm. -hmm. But as I have done multiple times in my career, I got in deeper than I should have early on. But it was exactly the way that at least I work best is getting myself so deep that I have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I have the pressure on me now of I have to either win or Mm -hmm. I completely fail and it's gonna be really bad. Okay. But I think all these years of working on smaller projects, working for, you know, religious projects, for example, you know, all these different projects I'd I'd done that now looking back, the stakes were not as high as they are now. It gave me so much training. And, and then the last, you know, 20, 30%, I figured it out, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest parts of that is budgeting because Mm -hmm. I was the guy that failed math so many times that I was in remedial math in college because (laughs) I never passed the entry level math exam. And so they wouldn't math. put me into math class. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I'm a creative, right? I don't do math, <laughs> and uh, and here I am. So I now I spend half my days, you know, working out budgets, Excel, <laughs> and what have you. But yeah, it's 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 so crazy. Age also helps. And I know that's weird, but it really mm. does. I think the older you get, the more honed in on you know what you want, what you care about, and the stakes matter. Yeah, more. And now I care about learning, and I care about you know getting better at the specific honed in craft that I've settled on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about like what the actual, I, I mean, I, I know that it doesn't happen overnight, but mm-hmm. you had mentioned getting onto a set with somebody who had already had the bid. Let's, let's split that hair. <laughs> How did you sure. get that gig?
0: I'm trying to remember what the first one was. And I, mm-hmm. I honestly cannot remember off the top of my head right now what the first one was. But I use the biggest superpower that I have, and that's I can make friends with a rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to know people, you yeah, know, yeah. and it took a lot of time. And some, t- some of those relationships were right away. Mm-hmm. And then some of those relationships, it took time for it to pay off. I do remember, actually, I did a small project. A guy who I'd met, he said, Hey, you know, instead of meeting me at my my office, why don't you come down and meet at this co working space? I said, Okay, cool. So I I went down and instead of going to his office, I went there to the co working space and he introduced me to some people. And these were people outside of my circle. I didn't Mm -hmm. know these people at all. And they Mm -hmm. were at the beginnings of getting into the commercial realm. Mm And it was massively massively helpful for me because I became mm-hmm. very good friends with 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 a few and a few that that I met there and uh, to this day you know I've been constant collaborators. but I started learning the world of, mm-hmm. of commercial filmmaking through yeah. them, yeah, not only getting to meet some key players but also i st- i started getting into you know groups online i mean literally mm-hmm. there are Facebook groups online that are full of, of you know directors and producers and dps and
2: Name and varied
0: yeah there is a group called where spot on facebook mm-hmm. there is a group called video village on facebook there's a few mm-hmm. and these are all invite only you know mm-hmm. but you you know once you get into some of these groups you start seeing oh you know this person's commenting multiple times and this person is mm-hmm. and they seem to be do, doing this thing and you start kind of p- putting the pieces together mm-hmm. and in the commercial world they're, it's not as big as people think as as most worlds are, right? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure the narrative world is that way as well. Though I'm not as tapped into that. And so it's cool. You know, I started meeting people. I I would go to conventions or meetups.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I know, like, there was a meetup at NAB. Mm-hmm. There was an, a, a... Cinegear uh, hadn't been a thing. And it, it didn't exist before, but it started. And, you know, that was another way to connect with other filmmakers in different places. And it was... Just putting yourself out there, saying, Mm -hmm. "Hey, this is what I do. I do this one thing," Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and seeing what happened. And slowly, I would get called and would be brought on. Producer, something else. Yeah, I actually got in as a producer and kind of sold myself that way. I luckily had had, in theory, years of experience doing producing, even though it was at a very much a smaller level than. You know, where I was trying to head. A lot of those skills paid off. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, the rest I learned on the job. And I made some mistakes, but I, I learned on the job. And there were a couple key people that I can, you know, think of. You know, Seth Haley was was one of them. He was a the the one that I, first person I met at that co working space. There was another guy whom I met, his name is Chris Fenner down in Atlanta. I took a I took a chance on on a job that I knew that he was gonna be part of as as the PP. It was a job I did for free
2: mm-hmm.
0: purely because I knew that I was going to meet him and Mm -hmm. that there may be some connection there. And I hoped for the best. And I kept doing that, you know, meeting different people who, you know, I would take a chance. And even if it was lower pay or what have you, you know, it was the chance to work on something that maybe would lead me to the next thing. And in turn, those people and others took chances on me.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, Chris was was the one that brought me into doing branded content for NASCAR. Mm, nice. And, you know, I never would have even had a chance probably at that point, but he saw something in me and a very small project that we did together and, you know, was being brought on as a director for some of this branded content and said, mm. well, I'm going to bring this producer in. Mm. And I learned, you know, and kind of BS my way through and, and learned yeah. on, the, on the way and just kept going from there. Nice. Yeah.
1: So, all right, let's talk about some of that learning on the job. What's an example of something that you learned that you had done weirdly at first, like for instance, budgeting, you know, all of those those things.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I didn't know that there were standards for some Mm -hmm. of this stuff, you know, there are standards for all of it, but when you are in the indie world, you kind of make it up as you go and and Mm -hmm. fly by the seat of your pants and it sort of works. Right. And that's how I approached it. And I It's kind of funny. I I remember some of the early agency jobs that I did. You know, I had budgeted a certain way. It was this kind of convoluted Google Sheets, somewhat Mm -hmm. Excel looking, you know, thing that I'd created. And it worked for me, Mm -hmm. all calculated right. And that was great. But it was very convoluted and it made sense for my head, but it Mm -hmm. didn't make sense to anybody else.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And what was interesting is I didn't realize that there were standards early on you know, Uh and nobody called me out on it. So I just kind (laughs) of kept going. Okay. But I learned, you know, I I never worked with crews more than, you know, five to 10 people, maybe if that, and they were all friends of mine for the most part at, you know, in the early days. And so we kind of figured out what pay was going to be and went from there. And I made mistakes there too, but it was, it was interesting learning, you know, well, what does a gaffer get paid? What does a key grip mm-hmm. get paid? You know, sound mixers, et cetera. Oh, and there's kit fees. Well, I didn't know that, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a kid. And I had to learn all this and I kind of just, and in conversation would start picking those, you know, tidbits up from people. Start yeah. learning those processes. And some of that was kind of shared to me through some of these n- newer connections I'd made that were guiding me through some of it. So I built out this budgeting program, I, I guess you'd call it, or, or template on, on Google Sheets. And it served me well for, for a couple of years until I started realizing that in the commercial realm, well, there's AICP and AICP mm-hmm. has a certain way to bid. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are different budgetary softwares out there that you mm-hmm. can have access to as archaic. And frustrating as they are, <laughs> and luckily, there are some new alternatives that are on the horizon there. And then I started playing with that, and I didn't know how to use any of these programs. nobody mm-hmm. had taught me. What are some of but those li- programs
1: that you that you came across?
0: yeah, like like hot budget mm-hmm. was was one of them. oh, there's you know movie magic, I mean there's multiple different you know standard programs that everybody uses, and mm-hmm. somebody at some point in history created these things, probably. <laughs> decades ago yep, yep. and I don't think they've been really updated since and so it's extremely buggy and they'll crash your program your you know your excel program or, or however it's built and it's very frustrating but they do the job and they do it in a way that is standardized mm-hmm. so that when you're submitting you know a pdf budget to an agency or production company everybody knows what that means everybody knows how it's supposed to be laid out and there's a kind of a consensus among everybody that this is how it's supposed to be, and it was you know now so great to to have all that knowledge, and now I can work on projects that I probably never would have been able to early on, even mm-hmm. even early on in in my commercial you know career, because if I had gotten these opportunities, I would have been laughed out of the room. You know, <laughs> I, I probably would have been let go pretty quick because they would have realized, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. You know? <laughs> so I'm glad that the process was somewhat gradual yeah. and uh, that nobody fact-checked me early on. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. You had mentioned a couple of new options that might be on the horizon. What are you seeing?
0: A producer and good buddy of mine, Jens Jacob, He uh, he's from Cypher Films. He, he's created new software. He's an entrepreneur at heart. He's a fantastic producer and done some some really great things with some, some awesome filmmakers that some of you probably know. But he, in, in his entrepreneurial side has always had multiple other businesses and ventures, you know, going on. And, and one of them has been, you know, in the, in the budget making software making a realm for filmmakers because he, he realized in the same way that I have that this is so outdated, you know, and so many people, I think producers that are our age versus mm. maybe those that have been around for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And it just, are so used to it that they wouldn't change necessarily. You know, we're of the age of of technology and you know building computers and you know all those things. And so, when it's not sleek and updated and fast, responsive, connected to all the things, it it doesn't make sense to us, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for those that that are coming up, you know, through the ranks as well. And so, he started a a budgetary software called Green Budget. Mm. that is in its infancy going through beta stages currently but really just light years ahead of you know what's out there mm-hmm. based on the same principles on the same you know structures for not only commercial filmmaking but also narrative and otherwise mm-hmm. and there's other software out there too that has nothing to do with budgeting but that i use that's maybe a little more up to date and has helped me in other you know ways producing as well
1: gotcha so one of the things that you had mentioned a while ago, you had talked about like delivering and, mm-hmm. and I, I did have a question on turnaround expectations because you were involved with like different types of, of projects as the producer. Yeah. So a lot of the time, those turnaround times were kind of up to you, not up yeah. to you, but like you were, you were heading those they were up. They looser. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, what are the turnaround expectations for commercials versus some of the other projects that you did?
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Typically, we get anywhere from a week to two weeks. Usually, two weeks is about standard lead time to put a commercial together. My role from the get-go, and it depends on the production company or agency that I'm working for. Mm -hmm. Every agency is a little bit different. Every production company is a little bit different the way they handle it. Mm -hmm. The ultimate route for me and the way I like to work is, and this all goes back to relationships, obviously. The, yeah. the closer I am with with, you know, the the leads in these mm-hmm. different places will change how I'm brought into a project. But my my favorite is if I'm brought in early enough that mm-hmm. it's actually in the bidding phase and then I'm actually okay. yeah. brought in a week or two weeks prior mm-hmm. to that two week mark. And the reason I like that is, first of all, I'm already getting my head around the project versus being kind of thrown it and saying you have yeah. two weeks, you know, <laughs> yep. So that's nice. Even if I'm not moving forward on any of the the processes or the logistics of making it happen, mm-hmm. the other thing is, and this is the bigger part of it, is I get to be a voice in the budget phase and the mm-hmm. bid phase. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always going to take that bid that I get, a final bid that's greenlit, and then turn it into a budget. Mm-hmm. But if I'm brought into the bid phase, I can speak into not only errors. Because mm-hmm. that happens on the agency side, they're not in the in the trenches like I am, and so, depending on the logistics, depending on where this is being filmed, there's so many different variables that go mm-hmm. into it, but but based on those specific variables, I can quickly say, "Oh wait, no, you need a budget more for this, or this should be shifted, or you know, this shoot really needs to be two days, and so you need to budget appropriately or uh, whatever yeah, it yeah, might yeah. be.
2: yeah, so yeah.
0: speaking into those things, Drastically helps because then it doesn't screw me over later. Yeah. Cause once I'm on board as a producer and it's actually greenlit, we're moving forward. I get handed something that is either going to be rough and I'm going to have to somehow figure out a way to make this happen. Or if I've been able to speak into it, it's set up for me that mm-hmm. I can, you know, do it in a way that's going to be appropriate. It's not going to be as much of a hassle to, um, to negotiate with vendors or, mm-hmm. you know, make happen in general.
1: Yeah. So, how do you quote for a job that comes your way?
0: You mean bid on a on a job or quote my own time? Both, actually.
1: Yeah. Let's go. Let's go for both.
0: Yeah. So, bidding on a job, a commercial job, it it's really it's such an ambiguous answer, and it's the answer that I would hate if I was on the other end of this. (laughs) But it comes with experience. Yep. When you understand the roles that go into making you know a project like this, yep. you understand how the variables of this specific project that you're, you know, you're working on, how they will play out in a day on set or even post, though I'm not as involved in post typically on, on most of these projects. Once you have your head around that, you can start making pretty educated guesses mm-hmm. on what it's going to take and always buffering. Something I like to do on the budgeting side is I like to put money in places I, fr- I can forget later because it always me. And on top of that, I always have contingency and so forth baked in, but I like buffering either Mm. rates to be just a tad higher than they should be, kind of padding it, Mm -hmm. or sticking money in line items that I'm never going to use for that project Mm. because sometimes I forget about it. And then when I'm going through and the fine tooth comb and I'm like, oh, man, I need an extra 500 bucks. Where am I going to find that that I find it? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I put that there, you know, for a reason. Yeah. and that's great. And I can steal that money for later. So it's it's hard to to give you, you know, oh, you need to do this, this, this and this. I mean, it's it's unless you're able to look over my shoulder and watch me do what I do. I can't really give you like an exact <laughs> answer, but Don't I worry. will say that it comes to the experience the years of doing what I have done. hmm i've I've been able to get to understand, generally speaking these different roles and what it takes to accomplish those roles. Mm-hmm. And it's been so, so beneficial because there are producers out there that are amazing at what they do, but they're just business people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and they don't have that background. They haven't you know worked as pas or haven't mm-hmm. worked as you know camera ops or what have you. And they don't have some of the even the technical knowledge, you know, if I'm working on, quotes with with vendors you know rental companies etc i can spot errors or i can spot things where i'm like ah you don't really need this you right. know it could it can work better this way and mm-hmm. i can talk shop with gaffers and dp whereas you know some of my counterparts can't And so i, I count that as a benefit yeah on yeah. the flip side of your question how do i budget or or how do i quote for my time yeah it, it really depends on the job, and again, it kind of goes back to that ambiguous answer if it comes with experience, mm-hmm. but I now am at a point where I know how long a certain job is going to take,
2: roughly. Mm-hmm.
0: And you also get to know who you're talking to, the agency, the production company, etc., and how they're going to react to certain numbers. Mm-hmm. Some will will be totally cool with, this is my day rate. And Mm -hmm. even if I work 20 days, that's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I know that that's not going to fly with an agency. Maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have that much overhead or that specific job. They, you know, low bid it. And so they don't have that leeway. Mm-hmm. Again, this is all helpful to have the knowledge of the bid earlier on, and then it, it sometimes becomes a project rate versus a day rate because at a, you know at a certain point it would be ridiculous to pay me for you know forty days of work or whatever it might be. I'm mm-hmm. just throwing a random na- number yeah, out yeah, there, yeah. yeah. And then it becomes a day rate, or or rather a project rate. Sorry, a project mm-hmm. rate, and it's always I say that that project rate is always based on a day rate, but it, it at some level it kind of becomes just a number that's going to mm-hmm. work. It's going to work for them. It's going to work for me. And I know that that's going to be, you know, acceptable. I, it also comes down to, here's another factor, just a personal factor, mm. comes down to how much that I need to live on yeah, and how much I have projected in a certain year that I want to make and then know that that means X amount of projects at a certain rate or end up a, a project rate that's going to equal up to that sum, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so that is helpful. There have been times where it's actually been more lucrative to to take on jobs where from a project rate standpoint, it's over, let's say, a campaign. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I make more. Well, I should say every time probably I would make more if it was my day rate every single day throughout the course of a campaign or a commercial, right? Mm -hmm. It would always be that way. But there is a security, though, that sometimes you have to take advantage of. For example, I'll take this year. As an example here, this year I knew that I had two campaigns, two big projects I was going to work on. Mm-hmm. And even though I probably would make a little bit less doing it that way, bidding myself or quoting myself for that full campaign as, as one chunk
2: mm-hmm. instead
0: of it being, you know, per day, or it's just gonna be this commercial, and then it's gonna be the second commercial in the campaign, it's gonna be the third commercial, etc. There is a security in knowing that over the course of these months, I've got work, and I have money, mm-hmm. and it's in a consistent paycheck coming in. Yeah. And so I kind of go back and forth with clients where some parts of the year, sometimes I'm doing that, mm-hmm. where I'm filling in the gaps, the rest of the year, which is freelance producing, where every job is its own thing. Sometimes I can stack jobs, you know, I can do multiple jobs at the same time. It all helps to equate to that end goal of what you're trying to, you know, achieve. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Every few years, I'm trying to ratchet that up, you know, let Mm -hmm. me see if I can achieve to a different level, you know, and and get there. And you don't always every year, but sometimes it works out and it's setting goals for yourself. And it it also helps me determine which projects I'm going to take, you know, Because there is that financial goal along with creative goals and other goals that I might have. uh, Mm I can balance out.
1: Gotcha. So now we're going to talk about some tools of your trade. I know that you had actually Mm. mentioned some of the software that you use. What gear or gadget, though, or resource or software is an old reliable?
0: There's a couple of the tools. set Hero is one that's really great. It's actually... Another friend of mine developed that software. Makes call sheets and and a few other pieces of data for okay. uh, your time on set. It's geared a little bit more toward narrative, but it's a fantastic tool. You know, it'll send out your call sheets in a really effective way. There's Studio Binder that's a similar product that's out there. It's a little more broad, and so it allows me to do what I do on the commercial side a little mm-hmm. bit better than Set Hero does. But it's it's a great product. It'll text out call sheets and email out call sheets at the same time, which is really yeah. neat. And you know, I can track on there, you know, who's opened the call sheet and viewed it, yep. who's not, knowing
1: who to hound.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so those are really really neat pieces of software. And there's other things that'll do too for scripting, etc. And both sets of software will do that. Frame io it's kind of the the standard now for engaging in the back and forth when it comes to editing yeah. and, you know, gaining feedback from clients, getting feedback from all the parties involved in the post-production side of things, whether it's the editor, you know, your sound mixers, your, your the, you know, the people who are, who are doing your score, you know, just, you know, MoGraph, you name it, anybody who's, you know, color, anybody who's involved yeah. in the post-production side. It's so invaluable. It's the best way to share, you know, clips with different people, share it to clients. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. So yeah. huge supporter for MIO. And it's so integrated in, in both Final Cut X as well as Premiere and, uh, and I believe the Da Vinci as well. And then and then I also, you know, I still have my company throughout all this time, even though I, I work as essentially just me as a as a producer. And then I also have my production coordinator who works for me now, who has been the the greatest asset in the last several years to mm-hmm. not only being able to keep me on track, but also kind of goes back to what I said way back at the beginning of our call, how my good friend said, well, stick in your lane, let mm-hmm. some of the other people do the other things. She's amazing at details that I'm not. Mm-hmm. and, you know, does a lot of the paperwork and and the very fine-tuned logistics. And what's really awesome at working with her is, you know, on some of these bigger productions that we're working on, there's just no way. I mean, I would be buried from, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning till midnight <laughs> every night. One of the first things that I told her when we when I first hired her, as I said, I want to be able to go to bed at night and to spend time with my wife. I want to be able to not work on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know. And she has been invaluable to making that happen. So mm-hmm. since I spend most of my time on Zoom, <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. meeting
0: with clients and, yeah. and you know, dealing with the back and forth of agencies, et cetera. So mm-hmm. with my company, sometimes agency or production company doesn't want to deal with the headache of the paperwork and payroll and, and all of that that goes into it, even though most yeah. of the time they have a system in place. And so I have a payroll company that I use called Wrapbook. And they're kind of new to the game and uh, have been awesome. Very, very streamlined, modern, you know, all the things that you'd want in Mm -hmm. this day and age. And so, you know, they've been invaluable to, to what I do as well, to keep all the finances in order, as well as QuickBooks and some of these other, you know, very standard, you know, business software.
1: Nice, nice, nice. I mean, some of these, I, I feel like counted for the next thing, which was your favorite <laughs> new gadget
0: or, or software yeah. that
1: revolutionized the way that you work. I don't know if you can think of any
0: others, but like, yeah. It's, I mentioned yeah. Zoom a second ago. And I mean, we all now know what Zoom is, you know, especially the pandemic has oh, yeah. really made us remote yep. and uh i work half the time at home half the time for my office zoom has become very invaluable to quickly being able to meet clients meet with you know do casting even though mm-hmm. i will say being, you know, somebody who has casted in person in the room and casted via Zoom, I do really miss casting sessions. <laughs> There's just something yeah. that's just not the same. But it is nice that, you know, it's quick and easy and I can do it, you know, in my house. But Slack is, have been really awesome. And then a lot of my partners in the Chicago area and being kind of my home area that I work in, though I do a lot of, you know, work across the country and, and even internationally still, I would say uh, probably it leans more toward work that I do locally. And so, you know, I, I always use the same people for, you know, locations. And now that COVID is something we have to worry about, there are, you know, COVID testing protocols and so forth that are in place. So a lot of these vendors, you know, that I work with all the time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I've got them integrated in Slack as well. And so it's so easy for either myself or, or my production coordinator to be able to easily, you know, send them a message and kind of do away with half of the emails because there's mm-hmm. so many emails that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. already. And so that's a really a nice way for us to communicate and connect.
1: And the question that I wrap up every single episode with, what questions yeah. should I have asked you?
0: Ah. Uh, whoever, you know, you are that's listening to this, if you're a student specifically, it's tough in a conversation like this to give like the nuts and bolts in a really tangible way, mm-hmm. but I'll give you a quick 30 second snapshot of what, you know, my production coordinator and I do. We go through an intake, the questionnaire that we've developed, and we have software that we use called Notion that mm-hmm. we keep a lot of our data in. So we do an intake with either the production company or the agency that we're working with to gather, you know, all these little tidbits of, of information that we might need, whether it's, you know, how do we pay people? You know, is there a card that we can have on file from from you guys that we can use on your behalf? All these different things, right? How is insurance being taken care of? And then we have developed a Google Drive and you can do this in Dropbox or there's plenty of other ways you can do this, Mm -hmm. but we've developed a Google Drive folder structure that has, you know, folders deep into it for Mm -hmm. various things. And every single time we have a new project, we then copy that folder structure and Mm -hmm. then, you know, rename it as that job. That's part of our system. Mm -hmm. And then as we're starting to get files, we're starting to get, you know, either it's Crew information or logistics information, locations, cast, etc. It's all filtering into this organized system, and we rename every single file in a very organized fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, my production coordinator has been very essentially helping me do this, but there's a specific way that we name it with extensions to it, so that it's very quick for us to be able to see. Mm-hmm. And then we have a process at the tail end of every job because our job starts in pre-production. Obviously, it's running things, making sure that Time on set works. And then there's the wrap that happens. We're then taking those files and receipts and all the data that we have and putting it into a new section, what we call wrap. There's another set of folders in there that then is passed on to that agency, production company, et cetera, our client, essentially, that they take and and put into their records. All these files that are coming in then are put into our system in a way that's easy accessible and, you know, it can be grabbed at a moment's notice for, for whatever we need it for. So I don't know. That's a little tidbit of information. I don't know if that helps. That's great.
1: That's absolutely great. How do people find you or follow your work?
0: Yes. You can check out my website. That's now two years old and I need to update it. Uh, It's (laughs) uh, brianfellows.com. Brian with a Y, if you're wondering. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, my Instagram is fellows. That's F-E-L-L-O-W-S. 031. Don't know what that, that means. Zero, back, three, whenever one.
2: I, I came up with it,
0: I've stuck with <laughs> it. So you can check, check out work there. I'm less active on Instagram these days because I am trying to be more present, but I do every project try to at least post about the project or what mm. have you in my stories, mm. not so much on the feed. Yeah. So if you look underneath my name and like a little profile information, I actually have folders of BTS folders on Instagram oh, nice, and nice. You, you can go back and you can look at different sets, kind of BTS of those sets that I've been on and, and oh, nice. see the kind of work that I've been part of.
1: Very nice. Nice, yeah. nice. Brian, you have given some great insight here with some Thank great you. tangible resources. We really appreciate it. Like we ha- we have a lot to chase down now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no worries. Well, my watch is telling me I need to stand up. So I better do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We we don't need to talk about the back injury that I had the Uh, other week. And I guarantee you it is because I do not stand up enough. Like, like, in some ways, I want to divulge this just because it's so (laughs) utterly ridiculous. Okay. All right. Really, really quick. I'll just tell you because it's kind of hilarious and and in a, a horrifying sort of way but like sitting so much our, our job is not wrapped around movement as much these days like, yes. unless you're on set yeah. and so i was just like okay i'm gonna stretch out my back right yeah i okay so imagine if you will at the chiropractor there's this bed that it is it, it, a table that will hinge down from your hips and it's not one of the, it's not the kachunk the kachunk table. It is the one that will like just passively stretch your your lower back muscles, right? Sure, sure. In any case, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna do that, but on my own, right? <laughs> and so I have my elbows just on the side of the bed, right? And I'm letting my my legs dangle so I can stretch out my lower back, and something spasmed in the way that back spasming has never spasmed before in my life and i could not i could not go up i could not go down i could not like put my weight on anything else and then i'm like shaking there i'm shaking on my elbows because i'm just like okay i have to move this is like 20 minutes of this it's ridiculous okay and I finally, I finally lower myself onto my knees. And when I tell you the red hot pain that was like oh no. radiating through my lower back, it was insane. I finally, like, I'm using my chin on the edge of the bed to lower me down to my elbow. I'm wrapped on the side. My phone is not. Within reach, I don't have an Apple Watch. I don't have Hey Siri activated. I don't have anything <laughs> to like contact people. I am like pulling the bedspread down to get my phone. It was the uh-huh. most pathetic sight that you could ever imagine, right? So I'm like getting my phone, and I'm just like Reddit. Like back spasm can't move. Help. Like, I don't know what to do. And then I was just like watching these videos. I'm just like, hmm, how, how, how do I, what, what is this? Like, how do I help this back spasm? Like, well, is it a spasm? Is it a slip disc? What is it? And I also just casually kind of uh, texted my roommate and was just like, Hey, when are you, <laughs> when are you headed home? And not to alarm you, but. I can't get up. I'm on the floor. (laughs) And oh my gosh, just so I wouldn't traumatize her when she was running through the house i heard her running through the house and up the stairs I, I you know i'm just like it can be a traumatizing thing seeing your right roommate's legs on the ground just like and i'm just like hey before she reached the room i'm just like hey what's up and she's like oh my gosh do i call 911 do i get an ambulance here i'm like absolutely not seven thousand dollars to tell me i have a back spasm no so we you know we call our nurse friend and she calls her ortho friend and it was a two and a half hour ordeal Oh no. So dumb. What actually fixed it was a ball. It was a racquetball that, you know, just kind of like yep. loosened all that stuff up. But oh my yep. gosh, people, especially if you do not move, exercise. I, I do not, <laughs> I do not kid you. Do not skimp uh, on this thing. You know, we talk a lot about balance and boundaries and all of that fun stuff and all the emotional stuff, but physically, it yes. is a thing. Move. Go yes. to a trainer, like start exercising, so you don't end up on the floor for two and no. a half
0: hours. You're a hundred percent correct. You're hundred percent correct. It is I mean, ridiculous. I moved a lot more when I was, you know, in other roles, but now yeah. essentially, producers is uh, essentially an executive role, right? Yeah. So yeah. We're sitting in a computer, we're on mm-hmm. Zoom meetings all day, we're on the phone yep. all day, that kind of thing. Except for the few days that we're on set. We're not mm-hmm. on set, even close to being the number that a crew member would be, for example.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so yep. I never was one to exercise. You know, I, I was a typically a thin guy for, for many years. Mm-hmm. But at 36, I will say... Exercise. It is extremely, extremely important, and an a lot of other. That's things. the
1: thing. Your body yeah. is an asset, and you need yeah. to invest in it. And I, I actually did start with a trainer, not not because yeah. of that, but like way before. Part of me in my in my head was just like, "Hey, I was I was working with a trainer. Why? Why did this happen?" I know but it is. It is a big deal invest in your health yes. we it's are great. old we're talking about like i
0: know i'm talking back about back pain, we're talking about pain. Back pain. Uh-huh. it's crazy it's crazy Hard i actually on. had an, an incident i don't know if it was a post-covid thing or what but i had like super fast you know heart heartbeats were wow. gone it was like a
1: like tachycardia? Yeah. I,
0: I don't know it was weird and i had this super anxious feeling i've never been anxious in my life like mm. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. There's a couple very extreme times in my life where stuff is going really wrong, you know, but like really not something that I deal with. Mm-hmm. I've never really dealt with anxiety. And I, it's funny because I, I was telling my wife, I'm like, what is this? She's like, well, you're you're anxious. You're, you're having like issues with anxiety. I'm like, this is anxiety. what this is? I don't yeah. even know what this is, you know?
1: That's anxiety so, attack.
0: It was so bad. It was so oh, debilitating. No to the point I couldn't do anything else. Like I, there was multiple times where I was literally like just sitting there crying to my wife. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Wow. And I had multiple conversations with friends. And the only thing that was kind of a through line with everybody was exercise, get yeah. out there and exercise because it will help. And I got really serious and I went out there and I started exercising again yeah. and it hasn't come back. And mm-hmm. slowly, like I'm getting my trends for my Apple Watch and stuff and mm-hmm. the rapid heartbeats as well as just in general, the, mm-hmm. the level, you know, the RPMs are going down mm-hmm. just from getting out there and exercising a little bit.
1: I can let you go, but this has been great. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and on Instagram. Ask us questions and check out more episodes at ThePracticalFilmmaker.com. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on The Practical Filmmaker.